I'm Robert Bean, and this is Focus, Purpose and Leadership. I decided to create this podcast because in my 40-year career in the advertising, communications and brand strategy worlds, I've come to learn about the fundamental importance of clarity and purpose, or in my terms, the value of having a single organising principle, one that influences a business's culture, its products and services portfolio and its reputation. In this series, I'll be chatting with CEOs and leaders who have put it into practice whilst developing their own successful businesses. In this episode, I talked to Robin Rowland, OBE, previous CEO of Yo Sushi for 19 years and non-exec director of Marston's PLC, Cafe Nero and Etos in the Middle East. He's also operations partner at Trispan, a restaurant-focused private equity business in London and New York. As you'll hear, he believes brilliance comes from chaos and a business without an elevator pitch can't hope to succeed. I might start, Robin, with with a natural place for me to start, which is I, I remember when we first met and you were explaining to me that at Yosushi you had opened, I've lost count actually, in, in, in the midst of time, the way I tell the story, it's more than 50 restaurants in a year, but that can't be possible. But it was dozens. And in the course of so doing, you were hiring lots of people and they were staying for much less, having trained them, they were staying for less time than they would otherwise ordinarily have done. And that was costing you X million pounds a year. And this was the problem as you mm. laid it out. And I said, oh, I see. So perhaps you might need some sort of mechanism that helps you filter people coming in. And you said, yes. And then there was a pause. And I could tell there was something more. And I said, well, go on then. And he said, oh, well, all right, then we're trying to sell the company. And I thought, I always thought you wouldn't be good under torture because it didn't take much to elicit that for him. He said, we're trying to sell the company. And I said, why might you want an exercise in brand definition? when you're thinking about selling the company, and you said, famously, my book, because I want to sell the estate with planning permission attached, which I just thought was the most brilliant and slightly odd way of looking at it, but in my view, brilliant. And I've repeated it to lots of people. Perhaps you might explain to me, when you were thinking of selling a business, why spending time and money on sharpening up its proposition was seen by you to be so helpful in that sale process. The reality was we needed to basically address the uh, the people agenda. Our business had grown very quickly. We were 25 sites in 2008, um, and we'd opened about 50 sites over three to four years, pretty quickly, but yeah. not just in the UK. Um, and my biggest worry for me was the we didn't have the team that had the belief or the understanding where we were going um, in the depth and numbers that we had in the early days. And I just want to make sure we um, have put an extraordinary base of people together who could actually grow the business and double the size of the estate. Um, as a private equity business, we're always for sale. And I just, it just worried me that somebody was going to say, oh, here comes you know, year five of our, our, tra- our uh, investment cycle. Can we go for sale? And I just felt that's probably one of our areas we could, we could do something about in a reasonable time, timely fashion. 
But you said this is probably going to take a year to two years to actually um, come off. And I, I thought it was a good investment and uh, one that the team really did embrace. And, mm. uh, and it, it, did, it did pay dividends, but it, um, it took a lot more work than we'd first realised. Well, perhaps we might come back to that because that, mm. that's always the sort of sting in the tail. <laughs> it's, mm. it's easy to sell it, harder to do. But if we go back then, you, you, when did you first encounter Yo Sushi then? I, I think you joined in 99, was it? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I joined Simon when he had two restaurants in 99. It was two restaurants, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We had the, uh, a couple other sites about to go. We were about to open in Blue Water and I think in Finchley O2 Centre. Um, and, you know, it was a very, you know, as, as a wonderfully creative, um, chaotic time. Mm. Um, but I worked in much larger companies. So I just watched this with you know, amusement when I first met him and mm. said, I know how to, how to sort this out. Um, but, you know, it's brilliant in terms of its um, uh, conception um, and its execution was pretty good. Um, but for its time, it was just mind-blowing. Completely mind-blowing. I mean, I remember it being this. I mean, nobody had ever seen anything like it. I mean, the food was one thing, but it was, it was the execution and the delivery of it, wasn't it? There yeah, was a, yeah. The, the kaiten belt and the, the extraordinary kind of rock and roll atmosphere and the, the irreverent, amazing team members. Um, and this extraordinary food just kept on coming. When it was too... Did you ever think, well, there might be a limit to this? You know, was it was it sort of 20 or 30 or 50? Or was the idea we can go forever with this? Well, I mean, if you, if you cast your mind back, the only chain restaurants uh, uh, were at that time of Peace Express, you know, things like Beef Eater. I mean, it was, it, it was just tiny. Wagamama's had just got started, but none of us kind of knew what the universe could take. Could take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, I didn't, and I'd worked for much larger companies, so yeah. it, it wasn't really all about that. For me, it was just about getting behind an extraordinary food offer that I thought probably is food of the future. Um, and then people kept on asking when we wanted to raise money or borrow money, you know, how big can this get? So, and really, you had to rewrite the book every three years because mm. you never quite understood that. I mean, it's an impossible question anyway, isn't it? Mm. But, but yeah, no, but I, I understand. I take the point that the context at the time was it, it, it was unheard of. That the, it, 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 There was no, no... There's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's mind-blowing. And, and Japanese food was incredibly expensive because it could be, not because it had mm. to be. Mm. Um, and we debunked all that. And we made, you know, what we thought was, you know, food that people were completely terrified to eat, um, accessible and, yeah. affo- and affordable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it became very and democratic and, yeah. a lot, and a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you went in in what capacity then? For, for, to, I, I joined Simon as, a, as um, his business partner, but as his operations director. And that didn't last more than about six weeks um, because the we, he and I basically had to spend a bit of time with the, our bankers, who were Barclays, um, and they felt it's better if I sort of stepped into a, a sort of a director role as the um, uh, CEO or MD. And Simon was completely agnostic about that. He wanted to be do the creative um, and uh, he's brilliant at that. So basically, we kind of divided up the uh, the states, and I became more of his business partner. Um, I'd, I'd run 150 restaurants in my mid 30s, so two was a bit, a bit ridiculous. Um, but it was it was it was a worthwhile place to start. And he eventually backed out when. Well, Simon Simon agreed that I would buy the business off him in. Uh, 2002 and it took us about a couple of years to not a couple of years, 18 months to actually get a deal done that he was um, happy with um, and that I could get the right kind of institutional money in because we, I wanted to open 10 restaurants you know pretty quickly we couldn't have done that on our current resources um, 
and private equity was having a bit of a tough, tough time. The dot com, so 2000, 2001, they even went a little bit quiet. Um, so a bit of fluff went out of the window there. But we managed to get a very good backer on board, which is primary capital. And they backed us for four and a half years from September 03. So that's when I bought the business in September 03. And that grew then to how many by the time you ended up leaving in 16, well, I think it was? Is it? Not quite. No, I, I, <clears throat> I went from in 03, there were. I think there were 10 restaurants. In 08, when we bought and sold the business again, there was 25. Um, and then I went into a sale process as chairman in 2015, uh, when we had about 75 or, to 80 restaurants. And then I had to come back as CEO for two years. So I, I sort of really finished um, in the end of 2000, 2017 and handed the business over to uh, a gentleman called um, Richard Hodgson, who had run Peaks Express and was ex-Waitrose. And the reason he was better than me to take business the next stage is we'd bought a supermarket business in Canada um, called Bento, which does extremely good high quality supermarket sushi and had a kiosk in supermarkets. And, and that business has changed the whole nature of our, our trajectory going forward. We, we want to become sushi global um, sushi providers. Yes. Um, and that, you know, who would have imagined that 20 years ago? I was reading that's a $200 million business, the uh, Bento business. In total, the yeah. whole business is. Yeah. No, that's, yes, that's Yo, oh, with the, with the Yo restaurants and, and yeah, Bento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. Amazing. So um, if we go back then to the work that we did together, as I said, it, it was ostensibly to try and provide some sort of filtering mechanism for who we hire and how we hire just so that we can get more people aligned to the yo view of the world. Uh, and that was ostensibly what it was. And, 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 and make sure the team understood what the business is about. It, uh, internally, as you two, said. two audiences. There's new guys and then there was actually the existing team. What, what does yo stand for and what is our purpose in life? And so when that was done, the, the, as it were, academic or the intellectual bit of that was done, um, and, and I sort of backed off because that's where I do. What happened then? I, I, I'm aware of the fact that uh, the uh, HR people sort of started trying to create programs and schemes whereby the whole of the company could get in on this and understand it. But mm. when you said it was more long and painful than one might have thought, what, what was the pain? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm doing it justice. We had a lot of fun doing it because we, on the two days of the workshop we did um, with 35 people, uh, identified two things. One was really about, you know, what our uh, core values are. And they, and they are still talked about by the management team today. I'm, I'm delighted because obviously I've handed over the reins, but they still know that we stand for a, a, an organisation which is basically personifying RUC, and RUC stands for Respectful, Unconventional, colourful and confident. And those four words we use in virtually every relationship we have with third-party suppliers, um, landlords, um, team members, board members. So that has that that endured and stood the test of time. Um, and that that's now that's now basically proliferates all our all our, the literature in the company. So they, it takes a while to get this stuff into all that that, that yes. into lexicon of the company. Yeah. What has been more challenging was we try to define the single single um, uh, defining purpose, and we. And that bit was a bit unwieldy. It was a bit too long. I'll be, yes. be honest, um, uh, Robert. We could we could have got that down to a few a few less words. Yes, <laughs> like just do it or something. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, but it, what it did do is it tried to capture the excitement of um, somebody for the first time going to yo. Yeah. So um, that that that's that's been reworked a few times in terms of um, trying to get uh, people who joined from other companies to understand this is not a stuffy 
restaurant. Equally, we take our food seriously. That's it's almost an oxymoron. It's quite tricky to get that that, that right with people. Yes, it um, always was a balance, actually, from my perspective, between the focus being on the food uh, compared with the experience. Correct. And in the end, I think the fifty-one forty-nine argument, the experience ended up winning out um, which is not to subjugate the food anywhere it's just to say that the experience yeah. was so extraordinary all the literal whistles bells colors noises all the rest of it mm. uh, and i remember clearly and it, you're right it was unwieldy the, the notion of wow at your fingertips it, it doesn't easily trip off the tongue but it does sort of capture the spirit of the yeah. experience yes it does yeah mm. And it, the words we used, although five years ago it was, are now in, in all the documentation of the company. And the, the team who now run and lead the company still use the, the, um, the mantras which we came up with. Um, and, 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 it had, and it had to be led by operations. We had marketing basically with the catalyst for it. But you had to have HR. You had all three disciplines working together. And that, for a CEO, um, you, you have to really truly believe in this piece of work. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. Because, but you have to coordinate all those three actually on getting on board. Yeah, yeah you know, c- completely. I mean, particularly in an operations-led business like a restaurant is. Mm. I mean, it, it can't be without. Uh, years ago, when I was younger doing this, I used to talk about needing to make sure that the marketing and the HR people would be united in this stuff, absolutely backed, endorsed, encouraged, bullied, pushed by mm. the CEO, uh, paid for by the CEO too, actually, more often than not, because it didn't come from anyone's budget. Mm. But in an operation like yours and many others, the operations people are, because that is where the rubber hits the road, yep. isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, they set, they set the mindset. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think the great thing about, about piece of work we did, it became very tribal. Um, other people have gone to other companies and have used the, the same words, but they don't work in no. quite the same way. Well, so. that's very gratifying because, of course, they were crafted to be unique to Yo Sushi. The fact that one could yeah. – well, to think that one could transplant them somewhere else is, um, how should we say, naive. Yeah. Uh, but that became more obvious over time because we, we employ people from Nando's, Carluccio's, Wagamama's, you name it, or Pratt, you know, and they, they all come with – they're all different tribes. Do they bring their words? Oh, yeah. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. And <laughs> so, you, you have to kind of beat them out on them sometimes <laughs> and say, that worked for that, that concept. It didn't work here. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good. So what, what – looking back then, what were the moments where you thought that you as a management team did things that really conveyed the spirit and the words to the people? Were there any events or moments that you can recall that, where it really worked? Well, some was around the, around the openings because we designed restaurants to be accentuate, you know, wow, your fingertips. So they were more more um, innovative and um, out there. Um, I think you know all our sort of uh, conferences uh, reinforced it in terms of the excitement of working for a business that wasn't that conventional. We aren't um, in a boring, stale, you know, middle aged brand. We, we are a restaurant brand that's basically an evergreen, or it's a, like a I call a Peter Pan business. Yeah, so yeah. Um, if you go to our, our conferences, it's still. You know, the average age is probably mid twenties. I mean, it's really young. Um, I don't know how he managed to sustain that, but it's uh, it is in a way it is extraordinary. You don't have um, an old cynical set of general managers; they're up for it. And the other things we, we we've done is, I think, unlike other businesses, we've in terms of made the food very important. The head chefs are genuinely listened to and are really really involved with the food development. Um, that's quite difficult to do at scale. 
Um, and again, some of the larger companies, there's been so, so much change of leadership in the UK anyway, that the head chefs got no cl- don't have any sense that they are valued, I suspect, by the, um, uh, the, the senior team. That is not the case at Yo. Well, I, I, I'd like to talk a bit in, in a bit about what's going on in the UK restaurant industry a bit, because you know, we know largely the high street is on its arse. Uh, uh, but, but before we get there, um, do you think there's a danger sometimes when you have this sort of, as we call it, unconventional and all those other exciting words, colourful, but when we have this sort of free-spirited culture of a place... Do you think there's a danger that by codifying it and putting brackets around it and you know making and form institutionalizing it does it slow things down or 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 does it do the opposite accelerate things because we now have code um, both are true i mean it it, it rather depends and it, it what it does do it places a great, a great deal of uh, onus on the operations managers who manage maybe 10 to 15 restaurants on how do they use the codifying the aspect of their job into the systems to actually deliver you know consistency but not get to the point where they basically strangle the enthusiasm yeah. or the entrepreneurial quite, zeal yeah, out of yeah, a good general manager yeah, yeah. and i and i was very lucky i worked for the school of whitbread in the 80s and and Grand Met, who were just extraordinary in terms of allowing me to go off and become an entrepreneur uh, with a very, very big balance sheet. Um, you know, here we don't quite have that luxury, and we are going through you know challenging times economically. But um, I think you know it'd be crazy if you didn't actually um, act local. Um, these large brands who've just become dumb brands are just have not listening to what's happening in the streets in, in Manchester or Leeds and mm. um, and being respectful. And you've got you've got to you've got to get closer to the community. I think are they hidebound? The 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 phrase freedom within a framework has come up often in these sort of these conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's just another way of talking about the codification mm. we're talking about. Take Whitbread, for example. Were they? Did they have the framework, but but were not paying enough respect to the freedom aspect? Is that what you're suggesting, or or are you saying that a number of these other companies, if not Whitbread, might have their frameworks, but aren't being local enough and providing yeah, I, freedom? I, 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 I was talking about the Whitbread and Grand Met of the um, the eighties, yes, thousand it, years ago. It, it, no, <laughs> I mean if you talk, take bring it up to speed now. No, there are, there are many companies who are. Um, are run from the centre. They're run by the accounts team in terms of all the finance. It's all financial in terms of the instructions given. Everything is looked at through the um, the benefit of the the uh, mirror because it's all looking at past results. They don't have people who've actually grown businesses leading them. So you end up with a situation where everything is sort of almost like being micromanaged to the point where you don't see any daylight. Hmm. Um, and then all these paid for advice from third parties you know go and get um uh you know Bain and mckinsey to do a piece of research to tell you how to actually create a new restaurant chain that's not how it works mm-hmm. it, uh, brilliance comes out of chaos mm-hmm. yeah um and, I, and i'm seeing it right now on a yeah. daily basis and it it is fascinating to to watch but you just have to pick out the good bits and then, yeah. and then try and multiply it without screwing it up and that is a very very tricky thing to do Brilliance coming from chaos. Is this something you think when you look back you've learned or did you feel that at the time when you joined Yo or possibly at a stage earlier than that? Yeah, well, I, I did feel it, but I, I've, I've, I've had it before because I've um, I built a business called Old Leans late eighties, which which I was allowed to go off and burn my way through. And at age twenty eight to thirty two, I burnt my way through about 
15 to 20 million of capital You've building this extraordinary Well done, Robin. <laughs> which I'm really, really proud <laughs> yeah. of. But I'm really proud of the fact yeah. we made three-year paybacks. Yeah. Um, and actually, we returned the cash in, in, in spades. Um, and it was a forerunner of Fridays. We, we were like, no one had written the rules book and how to do it. So, And was it chaotic? Uh, it was chaotic. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. We had a great American um, uh, guru who came and worked with us to help us actually put the concepts together. Um, the food was really important. We got stuff, uh, extraordinary food out of um, Alabama and um, went to New Orleans for ideas. But it was, it, it just is inspired in what we were doing. Um, and Yo's is the same. I mean, we, we take a lot of references going back to Tokyo. Um, you go there and you open your eyes and you can't fail to see some, some new stuff you can bring back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like the Wild West. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wild I would East. hate, I would hate yeah. to be running you know, a formulaic business. It's, yeah. it's kind of not what rings my bells. No, not, not um, at all. And, of course, they're the ones that are struggling, aren't they? So perhaps we, let, let's talk about that for a bit. Mm. Um, you put forward this notion that they are doing it by rote to, to, to curtail the point. I'm, as I understand it, the the delivery and take home, you know, delivery at home market is mm. what's sort of causing them a lot of damage. What else is going on? Do you think that that sees so many of these, as it were, middle of the road places now really struggle? Well, it's, it's quite well trailblazed, but you've got right, first of all delivery. A bit of misnomer. It's it's on average in casual dining, it's four and a half percent of turnover. Right, it so is not suddenly the antichrist no. that everyone okay. thinks it is. It is heinously expensive to operate because you're paying a third-party uh, aggregator for the privilege of delivering the, the food. Um, so they'll take 25% straight off your, um, your, your margin. So it starts becoming – it's not a great marginal gain. And if it's, if, it's in, if it's incremental, not substitutional, it's not a problem. It's, mm. it's good, good to have a go at. Mm. Um, and if you do it really well, um, then you probably get rewarded with some economies of scale. The, the fundamental issues are you had, uh, I think, you know, a lot of – bright private equity money came in uh, with you know smart business plans for growth which basically um, forced the the management team to go off and secure sites at, at a rate of knots um, without probably fully understanding the markets in which they're going into so you had people who over rented um, overcapitalized because they probably had to keep upping the NT in terms of those fit outs um, so there was a, there was an expectation about the return that wasn't coming back then you had a situation where um, there's quite a lot of pressure on uh, employment in the UK, um, particularly prevalent in London in terms of you know, people are pretty transient at the moment, so quite difficult to operate. Um, and then you had this ridiculous proliferation of, of marketing challenges because everybody's competing for the same market. If you're in pizza or pasta, you're in an absolute bub bath mm. and, you're in, and there's, only, there's just a race to the bottom in terms of price until mm. you get enough um, traction mm. on volume. Mm, mm, mm. So I, and I just despair when I walk around a place like Newcastle, which I love, and thinking, oh, every brand's here. And I know I'm part of that, but at least we were there first. Mm. Um, <laughs> and and uh, what happened, a lot of um, companies – said, I'm going to open five, ten restaurants for a year. They, they tell the property director, they incentivize the property director to go and, uh, go and find the sites. In, in, invariably, I mean, one in ten is a turkey, generally, in yeah, our, our yeah, world. Yeah. The trouble yeah. is, I think that number's gone up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the, and the landlords basically, were, were, the rents were being you know, chased up, um, the capital costs were going up, and then the operating margins were coming down. And the other last bit, the jigsaw, is that um, you know, Brexit um, fears have basically, you know, really sort of messed our economy up. You know, the fact, you know, at 1.3 to the pound, is, that was not where it was, mm. um, you know, three years ago. It's 1.5. Mm. That makes a big difference mm. on the import costs. Mm. And most of us buy our, you know, goods from overseas. Mm. So ev- everything has gone against us, mm. rates, um, uh, you know, food costs, and then they the rent, rent the, the property costs. So in that sort of uh, uh, panoply of pain, mm. uh, 
I, I think what you're suggesting is most of that is is the the institutionally driven need to grow and produce financial results. Where in all that then is a lack of clarity of proposition as being a contributor to the problem? Now, you did mention it, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but what sort of proportion of I, the problem is that? I, I think I think I think it, it becomes quite. I can't put a percentage against it. No, it's, it's a it's a bigger bigger issue than perhaps we realise. Mm. Um, what what's your purpose? I mean, what what is the purpose of Carluccio's today? It was very obvious to me ten years ago. Uh, Wagamama's did a great job of redefining their purpose. I mean, there's no question they've come back on top. Well, they're still um, at it, aren't they? Still yeah. at it and doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, what was the pur- what was the reason for being for McDonald's? You know, fifteen years ago, it's bloody obvious now. I mean, they are absolutely brilliant at what they're doing. Um, or, or what was what was the purpose of Greg's? 10, 15 years ago, done an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've done it by reclarifying what the proposition is. So I think it's re- it is really important. And everything else should follow on. You know, the you know, investment cycle should follow that, and so should the, the leadership. If, if we take that, what, what you've just said, and say, well, let, let's apply it to a really difficult child like, oh, I don't know, I mean, you would know better than I would, who, mm. who these middle-of-the-road brands are. Mm. Do you think if they were to sit down for a minute and recalibrate what their purpose and proposition all the rest of it, clearly it would help. But mm. are they are some of them beyond saving? Okay, well I'm not saying anything against them, but I think uh, clearly Frankie and Benny's has, has lost its uh, halo a little bit, and and Prezzo has been challenged. That's two good examples, I think, which no one can de- to deny. Um, I think they could, if, if they had really spent the time, um, really understanding what is it that makes them different and special. Uh, and listening more both to both to their guests and to their teams because I think they didn't listen enough to their teams. Um, they probably would have would have worked out another another route forward. You have to reinvent yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what we've learned. We yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And they've built the same restaurants. They deliver the same menu. Yeah. They haven't changed the uh, the food offer very often. Yeah. They haven't really marketed what the difference is. And the customers are just like just starting to vote with their feet because they're thinking this is just not it's not happening for me any longer. Yes, I had this with Gourmet Burger Kitchen actually. I mean, actually, a really interesting backstory they have, which has never really been brought to the fore. And it's a pity because when that conversation started, it was all about the commoditization of what is a standard thing called burgers. But mm. actually, they did have a different story, and I still live in hope that one day they will dig out the stuff we did together and perhaps do something with it. Well, and the quality of their burgers is, is much better than people. Are, and, uh, 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 much I, better. I think there's a hidden story. Yeah, there is a hidden yeah, story. There, great, the, no, there is. And, 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 uh, and as I say, we, we got to it, but it sort of then got lost in the, you know... It, well, a, change probably, of ownership will change everything. As yeah. you said earlier, it, it, that ha- seems to happen so often mm. that uh, it leaves the head chefs spinning, but it leaves teams spinning just as much, doesn't it? And brands get very confused, don't Correct. they? Correct, yeah. Um, but on this point then, Yo at the moment is where in that if, – if, if this reinvention is a sort of cycle, let's say, mm. where is it now? Well, it isn't. Obviously, I don't run the business, so I don't really no. care what I say. But I'm on the board. I'm a significant investor. Um, I, I'm actually really, really delighted because the the incoming CEO uh, and the marketing team, particularly, and the operating team, have got their head around you know um, a Y two O in terms of you know reinventing the brand. They, they, there's, there's a number of different um, uh, directions they're going to take the business in the UK in the year ahead. I've seen them. They look fantastic. They are pretty. Um, I'm not going to. I can't be drawn on it because no, it's not no, fair. Sure. But they are, they are, they're, they've been very creative in their, in their approach. Um, they've learned a lot from the Canadian experience. Um, uh, this is a powerhouse in terms of knowledge about um, supermarket sushi. Uh, we've looked very closely at this on the global 
players to understand what um, Sushi Shop and Genki and uh, Hannah are doing. These m- might mean nothing to anybody in the UK, but these are mega, mega sushi players. Um, and we hope to bring that back, both to you know, the, um, the US market and to the UK. Uh, they will not stand still. Uh, Yo is going to go through the transformation and it's, it's weather the storm financially and brilliantly um, compared with its key competitors, so Itsu and Wasabi, which you know, I think are brilliant businesses in their own right. But um, one is a value play and one is a premium play, but they got really, really high rents and so only in London. In a situation like this, appreciating you're, you're not an executive there, but in a situation like this, it's part of a, a reinvention, which is not just a reinvented proposition. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a much more fundamental shift and mm. looking across the world for it. And trying you know, f- a number of experiments all at once. In, in, well, to what extent do you keep the, as it was, RUCK, R-U-C-C words mm. as being the essential bit of the yo-ism it, how much does that feature when considering these alternatives and well i had richard use ruck um, uh, at a conference only a few weeks ago and then the other one is can i which is we which is simon and i well simon dreams about was constant and never-ending innovation <laughs> and can i once this once it's in your head it's hard to get rid of no, no, the- so you don't approach anything thinking oh i can't i can't do this yeah um so i, I think and the spirit the spirit lives and it's actually in reality as well coming through but it, it, to be fair, it does take time, you know, and, uh, and Richard's done a great job set, you know, settling in. But this is year two, and this, we'll see some interesting changes coming up. Okay, well, we'll look out for that. Moving ahead then, or to now, mm. you're not sure if it's a poacher or a game che- gamekeeper, but it's the other side of the fence, really, isn't it? Yeah. Be- become an investor entrepreneur mm. uh, rather than entrepreneur entrepreneur. How much does this stuff, what I call the single organising principle, actually affect you when you're running the rule over number of prospects, talking to the entrepreneurs, the operators? How much of that stuff makes the makes your needle flick in terms of this being a better investment than the other? Um, it, it is important. I, I guess just a bit of background. I I work for a business called Tri-Span. I'm the operating partner for Europe. Uh, we raised $250 million last year, which is a hell of an education for me, how you do that. But we've done it. Um, and we only invest in restaurants in this fund. That's the reason why it attracted me. And I can do what I like doing, which is actually giving advice and coaching on a more professional long-term basis and hopefully make a bit of money out of it. But the reality is, for me, we're seeing between 18 and 100 pitches a year. That is a lot. That's and, you know, pay attention to um, the people who managed to battle their way through to get us into, into our diary. Myself and my, the other partners will sit there and you know, you just know within five minutes um, because there's an elevator pitch and you, this person has got to get out pretty quickly because if they can't get out to us, they sure as hell can't get out to the people who work for them or to the landlords or to their employees. Um, and, and I try and make it as um, you know, unnerving as I can for them because I, I have done it myself on the other end. Um, but we're talking to businesses, it's not venture capital, it's, it's a growth capital. So they've already opened restaurants. They've probably got five, ten restaurants. They're getting close to two million EBITDA. Um, they're not idiots or, or they're not, you know, chances or lucky people. They've actually done, got something about them. Um, but for me, I want to know, if, can they articulate why this is, this is a uniquely different um, proposition? And if they don't use the word people and, and food in the first few sentences, I'm probably turned off. <laughs> I'm so quick. Everyone looks at me going, you know, really, just come on, they'll get to the point, Robin. But honestly, I want to, I want to be excited. I want to go and eat their food. Yeah. I, want to, I just want to go and have some good time in their place. Well, what, um, what about these? And actually, instances? I need to like them as well, by the way. Uh, as people. I, I, I was, I was, yeah, of I'm, course. I'm, I'm 58. I just can't be bothered now. No. People who are going to be who are so... <laughs> 
egocentric. They don't realise it's no, a team effort. No, no, um, quite. So but what about those with a hidden story, though? I mean, is there a concept? Assuming you like the people enough. Mm, or respect m- them, yeah, yeah. Or respect. Would you allow the elevator to get to the second floor before you start jumping up and down if you think there's a hidden story in there that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, our, and our example of the one that the, we're doing, we're backing this thing called uh, uh, Thunderbird, which is a, a, a street food. I went low rattle all the street foods and saw this one long snaking line um, in two of the street foods, and it's, it's to go and meet some um, this extraordinary chicken, a guy called um, Matt Harris. Is they the, don't lie, do they? Street food merchants are they don't lie. You know, no, they, you, you know people. You know exactly. Yeah. You know because they're yeah. not expensive, so people mm. people can get, go to any mm. one of ten places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and Matt Matt just had had the biggest queue, and he and he had a, a real vision about his food, and he understood his chicken and all that stuff, and uh, and we thought right, well this one, which unusually we're going to back as a bit of a rollout story, so. Uh, we're opening in um, Brixton, Villiers Street in O2 the next few months. So that's kind of exciting. But I kind of I knew when I met him. Um, uh, the other businesses, I probably know the entrepreneur anyway because I probably have um, – I wouldn't say necessarily my peer group, but I've known their reputation. I've made it – made I made it known to them that we'd be interested, and you tend to have a better relationship over time that way. But I have to believe that they, they can articulate their story. Yeah. Because so much of your job as a leader is doing that. And that's where the single organizing principle does help. Yeah, yeah. It and, and, your, you know, and your book, you know, yeah. I, and I don't want to blow smoke at your bum, but really it's a book I give out quite often or, sit, or spend money oh, on Amazon that'll for. be the. I'm the one or two people that, that, who get orders that, a month. That'll you know? be what puts <laughs> turkey on the bean family Christmas table then. It's, it's Robin selling the books. I, I'm interested in this notion of the elevator pitch because of course there's nothing new in that phrase but I sometimes worry that it sort of demotes or downplays the value of this stuff but it was made worse once when I was in a meeting with a very senior government minister best left unsaid who he was where he said oh, no, I, I understand what you do it's bumper stickers and I've never quite Ooh, I know okay, never okay quite. that hurts okay. <laughs> well I don't you see I chose to think you know don't mess with Texas and I heart NY and all the rest of it as yeah. being quite powerful bumper stickers. But it does deposition it somewhat. So you're saying the elevator pitch early on is really important for you to then engage and go, well, okay, let's see what's behind this and see yeah. if the rest of the business presumably stacks up to that pitch. Yeah, I mean, I mean simplistically, there's only five things that move in a, in a restaurant world. It's, 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 it is around the products, it's around the people, the property, promotion, does it, can you market it, and the profits. But if they come and tell me how brilliant their P&L is, uh, I just said, that's great. You're looking at the, the, the wing, wing, wing mirror. Hill. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know where you're going, yeah. which is much more about the proposition. Did you, yeah, so you'd mentioned proposition in that. Sorry, did you? In the, in well, the, proposition is, is yeah. the product. I mean, product I'm, right. I'm, being, I'm my sort of crude, I'm not a marketer, I'm, I'm a you know, humble operator. Um, it's food and service <laughs> yeah. and the ambience. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing we do. The thing we do. Yeah, we yeah, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And do it consistently, yeah. hopefully. Well, I, I think we may have done, Robin. Can I thank you again for your boundless energy, forthright opinions, uh, well-informed views and time to come and do <laughs> yeah, this. Yes, you can thank me. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure. And keep buying the books. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Anytime, Robin. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again, Robin. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your usual podcast app to get new episodes when they're released. If you have any comments or questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. It's robert at robertbeanbranding.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.